calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. The machine's going to cause a lot of havoc in the world. Maybe even World War One and Two. We know that. And I heard what Madwell said, and what that crow thing said. We can't change any of it. The tyranny of the page... To hell with the tyranny of the page, Max erupted. What the hell was wrong with Ian? I didn't come all this way just to leave that thing standing at the end of it all. Do you expect me to just walk away? Ian blinked, startled. Max suddenly looked like a mad prophet. Well, I, I don't know, I just... Ian stammered. Everybody's dead, Max spat, whirling and shaking. Gustav, Romani, Sabava, Feliero. He ticked off their names with a finger for each. They died. Died, Ian. To bring that bloody thing down. It was the whole point of their lives. I am not going to let them down. Ian looked away silently, staring dubiously at the whirring blur of gold and jewels. The laser-sharp dodecahedron of light rotated in its core. That thing is a fear capacitor. A hate capacitor. It's messing with everyone's heads up there. Ian paused for a moment and then added, Maybe even down here. At that, Max grabbed Ian by the collar. I'm destroying it, Ian. Have you suddenly lost your mind? We know Nobirians, you and me. We know what they do. I'm not leaving that toy laying around for Archons and Nubarians or whoever the hell else to start torturing kids again. It's an evil thing. It's gotta go. Bottom line, okay? But you can't, Ian said softly. You can't change history. If I have to change history to kill that thing, then so be it. Filled with disgust, Max turned and approached the machine. You won't succeed, you know, the crow shouted at his back. You aren't powerful enough. The machine will rip you to ribbons in the attempt. Better to leave it alone. The crow cackled out a long laugh, but Max ignored the feathered beast. The Archon's comments only fired his resolve. Ian watched Max walk away with doubt in his heart. Something terrible was going to happen. He could feel it. Max was being rash and Ian had had some experience with that. His gaze dropped down to the ice-cold green emerald fused to his finger. The machine was exceedingly massive, even more so than it looked from far away. The impression of something blurry the size of a moon dropped into the cavern was even greater up close, as were the accompanying blasts of air and fear emanating from it. Max staggered from the colossal impact of the nefarious device. He was finally here, at ground zero of the machine itself, in his heart, Max was daunted. He quailed for a good long moment. To take down something like this would require far more power than he had ever used before, even with Madworth. He could see that this thing was a wrong in the very fabric of existence itself, a dimple in space-time, 
It was a Dreamtime device, a technology of consciousness itself, of the very underpinnings of the collective dream of the universe. The innards of it rippled and shimmered. Max paused and actually thought for a long second about what Ian had said. But if he left it alone, it would grow. He was doing the right thing. He steeled his resolve again. No, it was a wound in the heart of the world. It would fester, it would spread. Romani's nightmare of a spout of black ink engulfing the world would come true. To oppose it, he would have to surpass it in essence. He would have to become more one with the one than he had ever attempted before. Stealing himself, he relaxed by degrees. Come on, Max, he thought. Come on, Ann Lil, or whatever your name really is. Let's do this. Let's finish this. Power flooded through him. Stars once again shot along his arms, his face, his hands, his legs. Once he had ignition, he increased his burn, fed it, multiplied it. He became a figure of white fire, starfire, moonfire, glowing hotter and hotter, denser and denser. When he thought he could not stand any more, he increased it even still. He pushed the envelope of his endurance, his fusion with the otherness, became less Max Quick and more the one. He became more than he was and surpassed it again and again. Finally, he felt ready. He felt charged with enough power to tear the world asunder from its foundations. He felt like his flesh would melt under the strain of what he was attempting. Perhaps it would. He had no way of knowing what pushing things as far would do. With a wrench of pain, he realized there was no one left alive who could tell him. Max entered the outer boundary of the machine. Immediately it screeched in protest. Gnashing metal thundered and tore around him as the first whirling band of gold struck him and bent. The rotating circle was thrown from its path and collided with the next innermost whirring band. The dodecahedron of light wobbled. Max held his ground, his body the weight of a world and harder than diamond. The outermost band suddenly tore free and began colliding with other bands spinning inside the machine. More howling metal bent and smashed, ripping thews and tendons of gold. Still, Max entered deeper into the heart of the machine. Then all at once, it became too much. A chain reaction had begun. The bands all tore loose of their moorings and smashed into one another. The machine began to destroy itself. Its delicate balances had been perturbed, the orbits of its parts thrown deeply off kilter. Sparks gushed with each collision. Lightning flew from each impact. The cavern shook as with an earthquake. Still, Max forced his way deeper. Something was resisting him, even as the machine consumed itself. He had to tear it apart completely, both materially and in the other Dreamtime dimensions in which it had inflicted damage. Feeling the torque and warp of something in his mind, he forced it back into place. It was not where it should be, and it had to be righted. But he was alarmed when he felt something distinctly tear. It was like a fundamental support of some kind had just blown free. He felt it. By destroying the machine, he was inadvertently taking something else down as well. But he couldn't identify what it was. The machine was a wrong. But it had also become so large and powerful that it could not simply be destroyed without consequences. It was like a tumor that had grown so interwoven and interlaced with the healthy body that it could not be removed without doing damage to vital organs. Yet Max was already committed to his path. He burned hotter and fiercer, ripping and destroying anything he touched. He yelled at the top of his lungs. 
One of the inner rings smacked around several times and then flew out of the machine itself, rolling like a runaway tire across the plain of rock towards the town. It flattened the first building it encountered with a quick splash of brick and kept going, clanging relentlessly as it rolled. Then Max realized that there was another voice in the din screaming with him. Max pushed his way deeper into the core of the device. He was very near the chamber at its center, the one Vadim had described. The one they put the kids in. There was someone in there right now. A boy. Those bastards! Max howled soundlessly into the storm around him. Madworth was draining a kid right now, using him to power the machine, using him to oppose Max. The boy seemed to be the only one in the chamber. If that were true, then the toll on him had to be extreme. He was literally being sucked dry. Max's heightened senses could feel the boy's pulse limping and straining near its breaking point. Max realized he had to get him out of there, and quickly, the boy didn't have much time. Damn it, like this wasn't already hard enough. With a new urgency, Max ripped and tore a path directly to the core. With a flicker of thought, Max ripped the chamber to shreds and drew the boy to himself, protecting him from the raining metal with his power. More rings came free, flying up into the air this way and that. The screws that held this machine together were no more. There was a whistle, and then the dodecahedron wavered, winked, and went out completely. But with that, the matrix of energy it was channeling and controlling were suddenly loosed, released at once. An ear-splitting concatenation too loud to hear rent the cavern. Still clutching the boy, Max was blown out of the heart of the machine as it exploded. When he came to, Ian was dragging him through the town, one arm under his shoulder. Fires and shouting were everywhere. Ian, Max said in a whisper. Max, Ian shouted. Are you awake? Max nodded weakly. There, there's a boy. I, I rescued a boy. Yeah, I know. I already carried him to a safe place. Max, the boy you pulled out of the machine. It was you. Your younger self. Me? That was a surprise. Madworth had put his younger self inside the machine? But Max didn't have time to think about it. Ian was shouting into his face. Listen to me. The cavern is collapsing. We've got to get the other kids out before this whole place caves in. Max's head leaned back as Ian dragged him. The top of the cavern had been blown open into a ragged rock mouth. Clean shafts of daylight shone down now like spotlight beams. The explosion from the machine, Max thought. It must have torn a hole in the roof. He could make out several tiny figures along the lip, peering down into the cavern with astonishment. Was that New York up there? Had the explosion from the machine actually opened a hole into the streets of 1912 New York City? In another moment, Max felt his mortal strength returning. He began to move his own feet, walk, and then run alongside Ian on his own power. Max noticed that Ian's blood metal armor had retracted, save for one arm. Ian had found some new clothes in the town somewhere along the way. All ill-fitting, but good enough to keep him warm and decent. Puncture wounds riddled his hand, his neck, any bit of skin that was showing. There were small flashes coming from the direction of the town. Max realized that the remaining Nuberians and humans were fleeing back to the surface via the transporter pad. Max nodded grimly. That meant the transporter was still working. It hadn't been smashed. They had a way up. Well, that and the sky chambers down here. Ian could fly one out of the opening. Then they arrived at the prison building that Vadim had described, the one where the children were kept. Max blinked, 
His younger self lay unconscious against the wall. Ian stepped forward and then stumbled back, snorting and shaking his head. Oof. This place smells worse than Satan's armpit. He gave Max a look of disgust. These poor children were living in squalor. They howled inside, clearly terrified. That woke Max from his stupor. Okay, stand back. I'll... Max started, but Ian ripped the door from its hinges with the one arm still encased in the blood metal armor. Oh, well, never mind then, Max mumbled. Ian entered and began ripping cell doors from their hinges. Okay, he yelled as he did so. Kids, listen up. We're here to rescue you. Get you out of this bloody awful place. So, as soon as I open your cell, get outside. Max stood exhausted. Ian had it under control. He'd corral the kids as they came out, keep them calm. And now, one by one, they came. Dazed and broken, malnourished and scared, they wandered out into the cavern. Several looked up with amazement at the sunlight streaming in as if they didn't know what it was. Over here, Max dredged his voice to life. Come over to me. Stay together, wait for the others. I'll protect you. The kids obeyed mechanically. They were barely standing on their own feet. More and more kids came out. The crowd around Max was growing. He put his arms around the ones nearest to him, hugged him, but they were slack, unresponsive. They didn't know how to react to affection. Finally, Ian emerged. Max, uh, this is the last one. But something in Ian's voice made Max look up. As the last child stepped through the mist of ash and dust, Max found himself looking at an emaciated 12-year-old Petunia Cole. Let's get them to the transporter, Max said. Ian nodded and wordlessly picked up the younger Max quick and slung him over his shoulder. Max, Ian, and almost 500 children stepped out of Madworth's nursery on Bleecker Street into the yards where no child had ever played. The children squinted and hid their faces. The sunlight was too strong for their weakened eyes. Many held their little hands up to their faces, shielding themselves from the blinding light. And Max stayed close to his younger self, and Petunia sneaking a wondering glance at them from time to time. Ian sagged to the ground in the yard, panting. Max turned to Petunia. Hi, he said. Do do you know who I am? he asked. Petunia nodded. I do. I think so, anyway. You're his brother. She nodded at the younger Max. Max smiled despite himself. Almost. You're very close. Then who? she asked. I'm him. I'm Max Quick, from a long time from now, from the future. Petunia's eyes went wide and she nudged the younger unconscious Max. I told you, you're a lot braver than you think you are. I knew you'd save us somehow, and look, you did. Max laughed softly. Yes, Petunia, and you tell me that a lot, apparently. With a start, Max suddenly realized that this, right here and now, was what the older Petunia had thanked him for back in the Starlin bookstore. I have lived a very long and rich life, and I have you to thank for it. Because he'd saved her from the machine here in 1912. There are many people who loved you and indeed owe you their very lives. Five hundred children surrounded him. They all stared numbly at him, reminding Max of the dull stare of just freed concentration camp victims in the old newsreels. These were the many people who loved you, and indeed owe you their very lives. Who would they grow up to be? They would remember him, that was for sure, 
They remember that he had freed them from the prison beneath the earth and the machine. Take care of him, Max said to Petunia, nodding towards his younger self. He has a concussion, I think. It will probably be a while before he wakes up. I will, Petunia promised solemnly. So this had been worth it. He had done the right thing. Hadn't he? The machine had been destroyed, and these kids were free. Romani, Gustav, Sambava, and Filiero. The goal they sought for years was accomplished at last. Why then, the nagging dread in his heart? Ian met his eyes. He was thinking the same thing. Just then there was a commotion in the street. Horse-drawn fire brigades were frantically rolling by, honking at everyone to get out of the way. Max looked up to where they were headed. A great column of smoke rose into the air several blocks away from their current location. Max jumped to his feet. Ian. Something about this disturbed Max, but he couldn't quite place his finger on it. He turned to Petunia. You're in charge. You need to find a cop, someone who can help all these kids get back to their parents. And as for you and Max, when he wakes up, you go back to Dunkirk. He'll take care of you both, understand? Petunia nodded. I do. I will. You can count on me. I know I can, Max said, smiling. He reached down and gave her a hug. Oh, and tell Dunkirk. Tell him we won't be making it to breakfast after all. Give him my sincere regrets. And then Max and Ian took off after the fire brigades at a run. They arrived at the great crater, a hole in the earth. An entire city block south of Houston had fallen into the ground, into the cavern of the machine. Fires licked the buildings nearby, and smoke poured out of the pit in the earth. The fire brigades were frantically pumping water up at the flames. Max stood all around this hole. Some brave souls had walked up to the very edge and peered down into it. Every once in a while there was a fresh tremor, and some new chunk of rock would give way and slide into the opening, and these men would all jump back with their hearts racing. Ian turned to Max, white as a sheet. This is not good. There is no record of a hole like this ever appearing in Manhattan. Max turned to him in alarm. Well, maybe it turns out to be not that important. Maybe nobody makes a big deal out of it. Ian looked at Max Riley. Oh, come on, even you can't be that dense. A city block is inhaled by the ground in New York City, and you think maybe nobody makes a big deal out of it. Max, this will easily be the headlines tomorrow. But we haven't heard of it in our time. The collective memory of it must fade or something, or the Nibirians cover it up. Erase it somehow. We know they can do that sort of thing. I mean, Petunia back there. This is what she was talking about in the bookstore back in Starland, right before the pocket. You know, that I saved her from the machine. And it happened just the way she said it would. Ian, we didn't screw anything up. We can't. It's impossible. You're the one who keeps telling me that. Ian just shook his head and stared at the hole. They're going to go down there, you know. Eventually, someone's going to spelunk this hole. And when they do, they're going to find sky chambers, pieces of the machine, and transporter pads. Max, this is not good at all. Max saw the panic in his eyes and didn't protest. We have to get back to our own time right away. Wait, Max said. There's one more thing we have to do here. He reached into his pocket and brought out the piece of paper that said, Location of Mother. Miss Starry, living on an estate, remote in seclusion. 1138 Greensward Way, Westchester, Connecticut. This is the only clue I have as to my parents. My secret. I'm not leaving until we pay her a visit. Ian was about to protest, 
but knew Max would not be dissuaded. All right, then. But we better be snappy about it. I have a very bad feeling about staying in 1912 any longer than we have to. You've been listening to Max Quick, Book Two, The Two Travelers, by Mark Jeffrey, read by the author. Produced by Mark Jeffrey in association with Podiobooks.com. For more information on this Podio book, please visit www.maxquickseries.com. The print version of both The Pocket and the Pendant, Max Quick Book One, and The Two Travelers, Max Quick Book Two, are available at lulu.com in paperback format, PDF format, and hardcover.